0: Okay, so Luke chapter 1, we spent a couple weeks in Luke and last week we looked at, we compared when an angel came and told Zechariah that, that they're going to have a kid and when an, an angel came and told Mary that she's going to have a kid and, and we compared those two things and we saw that they're very similar, that both of those were miraculous births, that in both of those instances the women had zero business having a, a child, that they were both unable to have children. Um, and we saw that that the Lord said the Holy Spirit's going to be a part of this. Um, and then we saw uh, responses out of the two people that were pretty similar. They both, in so many words, said, hey, how is this going to happen? Right? And if you remember, the angel, when Zechariah said how is this going to happen, the angel says, that this is not my opinion, it says right there in black and white, it says because you did not believe you will be struck mute, and it's kind of a harsh response, right? Is that he's like, "Hey, God says this incredible thing's going to happen," and it's it's. Let's be honest; it's fair that he said, "How? How?" But uh, behind that question was unbelief. Behind the question was no faith, and so a, as a response, Zachariah says, uh, uh, "The angel Man, i 'Man, I'm I'm from God Himself. I sit through. I mean, I, I I've uh, like I'm an angel of the Lord, and you still don't.'" believe and so he struck him mute and then he said hey the lord's still going to do this thing through you and then when mary when she's told hey here's going to have a miraculous birth she asks kind of the same thing you remember she said how's how's that going to happen right and the response was very loving and gracious and we find out uh, let's just read this right here so you see this is not my opinion this is we just straight out of scripture you're going to see behind Mary's how was belief. Like she believed, but she still was thinking, hey, help me understand. Right? And there's the difference between belief that looks for understanding and then disbelief that looks for proof. And one of the big things we said last night, and this is a, uh, it's one of the lies I, that we all tell ourselves, is we say, I will believe when I have proof. That, that proof will then strengthen my belief. And what we said was that, that, that proof and belief cannot coexist. They can't happen. It's, it's impossible for you to both have 100% proof of something, yet to still have faith in, uh, in God. It's not possible. And so that's why we, wanna, we wanted to kind of break down that, that bad theology that we all believe still, all of us, That there's these areas of our lives where we're struggling and we're praying, God, just just make it clear. You know, isn't that the prayer request, by the way? I pray that God makes it clear to me, right? We've all, right? Don't look at me like you don't know I'm talking about, right? Like, and it sounds super spiritual. Uh, This is the prayer right here. Guys, will you pray that God makes it crystal clear what I'm supposed to do with my life? Do you know what I've just prayed? Guys, will you pray that God gives me proof? Look at me. I ain't praying for that. Like, so many prayer requests, we need to sometimes look at each other and say, hey, I love you, but I'm not praying for that. Because you're praying for proof where we're called to have faith. You all hear me on this? Like, and I'm, I'm just as guilty. There's big decisions to make, and in our heart of hearts, we're thinking, God, please make it crystal clear, Lord. I have these decisions, and I need you to show me. And God's up there saying, I'm not showing you. Why? Because I want you to have faith in me, not sight in a decision, Right? And so anyways, pick it up in verse 39. This is where Mary now visits Elizabeth, her relative. It says, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, that's John, who who would become John the Baptist, uh, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit in a loud voice she exclaimed blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear that child will be jesus if you're not sure that's okay but why am i so favored that the mother of my lord so she's already, she already she's filled with the holy spirit so she recognizes the lordship of jesus already that the mother of my lord should come to me as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So it's, I get it too. If I were to ask the question, hey, who's the first Peter con- to confess Jesus as Lord? You'd probably say, oh, uh, who's, did I say who's the first Peter? Did I say that? Yeah, that's the answer. Sorry. I meant to say who's the first person to confess Jesus as Lord? You'd probably say, oh, that was Peter, right? At Caesarea. And he, you know. But the answer, it's actually not. Who's, who's the first person to confess Jesus as Lord? John the Baptist and, and, and as a fetus, right? <laughs> In his mama's belly, he's the first one to leap for joy at Jesus. Uh, verse 45, here it is right here. Elizabeth says, Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. So you remember I said this is not my opinion. This isn't like, oh, Russell, man, that's a good idea. No, it's, that, that's biblical truth is that Mary heard this impossible thing and she believed. And out of her belief, she said, hey, can you help me understand a little bit better? And that is a good thing, by the way. Like, it's a good thing as believers that we say, Lord, I believe, but help me to understand. Help me to be able to explain this to others. And we looked, uh, last week we looked in First Peter, um, where he says, Peter says, Always be prepared to give an account for the reason of the hope that is within you. Okay, always be prepared. So remember, guys, as believers, we and, and this—some uh, of y'all are going to push back. You need to be able to um, to explain the hope that's in you. you. You need to be able to have some answers of why your hope is in Jesus. And the answer is, you can't just look at someone and say grace. Like, like you have to actually, you need to be able to form sentences. You need to be able to form coherent thoughts. And notice Peter does not exhort us to, con, uh, to convince people to, behave, to believe in Jesus. Peter says you need to be able to explain the reason for the hope that's in you. Right? And so right now, um, this is something that is always pushed back with on this, is that, man, Christians, we need to be able to articulate our faith. And some of y'all right now are thinking, uh, I'm, I, I just, I'm not like I didn't go to seminary, or you're thinking I'm not good with words, or you're thinking like I'm just I've never been able to to study God's word. Okay, so please time out. Hear me say this. Don't forget the person that exhorted you to do that. Peter was Peter. What was Peter? What was his job? He's a fisherman. Now listen, if Paul had said this, that'd be kind of different. We'd be like, dude, Paul is impressive. Or if, or if Luke, the beloved physician, if he had told us that, we'd be like, well, Luke is a doctor. Of course he can explain. So a fisherman who, is, who at some point in his life, he was a Jewish boy. At some point in his life, he had gone through early education. And there was a point in his life that the men around him would have looked at Peter and would have said, you are not smart enough to go on to study the law. Go learn your father's trade. And that's why he's a fisherman. We know he was not a smart guy. We know even from the Gospels that his mouth outran his brain most of the time, right? He, he said things that were just stupid that Jesus would be like, oh my gosh, Pete, dude, we got we to talk, man. Like he would, he would exhort Jesus against certain things. And so so, please don't miss this. That, that whole, and we talk ourselves into it all the time. Well, I'm just, I'm, I'm not, uh, I didn't go to seminary. I didn't learn all that stuff. I've never taken Bible classes. Guys, a fisherman is exhorting you hey, you should be able to explain the reason for the hope that's in you. Right? And so, I'll just summarize it this way again, it's this idea of belief seeking understanding. And this might sting, and I hope it does if it's supposed to. We are called to childlike faith. We are not called to childlike intellect. Because in so many church circles, I believe many Christians are conditioned to just check their brain at the door. Right? We are called to further our understanding of the Lord. Anyways, so that was kind of what we talked about last week. That was the uh, summary. Sorry, that was a long summary. Okay, and then go on to verse 46. So this is Mary's response. Okay, so look at verse 46 in your Bible. What do you notice that's different about it? I mean, look at it physically. What's different? Does y'all's look different than mine? Yeah. Like this is my verse 46. Did y'all see it right here? And it even looks different. Yeah, it's a song. Okay, so this is, a, uh, this is Mary's song is what this called. It's called the Magnificant. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, And that's just after one of the first few phrases that she says. So this is Mary's response, is that she worships, okay? So she speaks, um, and what we know about Mary's song here is a lot of this is quoted from the Old Testament, okay? So we know that uh, Mary knew her Old Testament pretty well. Most likely, you know, Mary's from a small town. Most likely, uh, Mary probably was illiterate, but she was still able to know God's word, right? And so most of what this is comes from is it's very similar to Hannah's song in first Samuel. And then she quotes several other prophets in here. And so this is great. I always encourage you, if you don't know what to pray, just pray the Psalms back to the Lord. You know, if, if you don't know what to say to God, go to his word and speak the truth back to him because you're also preaching to yourself, you know. Um, anyways, let's read through this verse 46. It says, and Mary said. I'm going to read through the whole thing and then we'll go back. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him. From generation to generation, He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. What what an interesting phrase, by the way. He sends the rich away empty empty. What an interesting phrase. Verse uh, 54, he has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. And then it says, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. And so start, I just want to walk through this. Uh, There's a couple things you'll notice. Do you see an emphasis on humility versus pride? Did y'all notice that as we read? Do you see how she mentioned several times this idea of humility? Uh, versus pride. So start in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul uh, glorifies the Lord. My soul, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Okay, so pause there for a second. Notice. Remember the context here. Mary is a young woman in a very small town. I can almost guarantee everybody knew everybody in her town, right? And, and she's betrothed to be wed to this, oh, excuse me, to this guy, Joseph. And all of a sudden, this, this rumor starts circulating. Please don't miss this. Hey, did you hear that Mary's uh, expecting a kid? Did you guys hear that? And, and you know she's not married right and hey did did you hear she says it's from god <laughs> she says the holy spirit conceived a child did y'all hear that like can y'all can y'all hear the rumors do you do you think that shame and guilt was heaped upon her like most of the time when that would happen they would take that woman out into the outside the uh the the town and they would, they would beat her within an inch of her life and leave her and say, hey, this is what we do to unfaithful women. That was standard. Do, do you think that she carried guilt and shame? And let me just throw this out. Do you think she had any worry? Do you think she had any anxiety? Right? Do you think that she was concerned about her future? You know? My gosh. Like, in this small town, like, like, a, like the, her family's name was being drugged through the mud. And it's one thing, like, I imagine someone was even like, Mary, would you just own up to it? Would you, we get it, you're pregnant. Will you just stop with the whole Holy Spirit conceived thing? Like, do you realize how crazy that sounds, by the way? Like, don't you think someone was like, Mary, just tell us. Like, you had, you had, an, you had an affair, or you and Joseph got drunk one night. Just, just let us, just tell us. And she was like, I'm telling you, man, the Holy Spirit. So now not only do they pity her, but they probably think she's crazy as well, Right? And in her response, like she could have focused completely on the problem in front of her. And instead, what she did was look. I loved how she she tends to look backwards. She says, verse 49, For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. And so let me encourage you guys, when you're facing anxiety, when you're facing worry, our tendency is to focus on on the unknown, on the problem in front of us. And what Mary does is she focuses on what the Lord has done for her. Right? And not only does she focus on it, look at the very first verse. It says, my soul... What's the word right there? Verse 46. What? Glorifies. Does anyone's Bible say anything different? Everyone says glorifies? Magnifies. Thank you. She says, my soul magnifies what? The Lord. She, like, if if I'm honest, and I know it's Sunday morning, I know that's crazy. Um, sorry, that, wow, that was, where did that come from? Golly. If if I'm honest, if you're honest, most of our song in here, if we wrote a song, it would say, My soul magnifies my problems. My soul magnifies my worries. Are y'all with me on this? I mean, do y'all pay attention to the culture we, we live in? Like, that worry sells right? Fear sells. The unknown sells. The the two biggest marketing strategies, number one is what? Sex. Number two, do you know what it is? Fear. Fear. Those are the two biggest marketing strategies that our culture will constantly sell you. Sex and fear. And so if, if this was titled Russell's Song, and again, I'm just being honest, the first line would probably say, my soul magnifies my worries. My soul magnifies. Anyone else? Do you know that it is possible to block out the sun with a quarter? Did you know you can do that? Do you want to know how you can block out the sun with a quarter? Is if you take that quarter and if you get it close enough to your gaze, something as small as a quarter can block out the noonday sun. Are y'all follow me? Right? Now, do you realize how ridiculous that is? Do you realize the size and power and magnitude of the sun? Do you, do you realize that that quarter is not bigger than the sun? That quarter, it would literally be burned up into nothing if it approached the sun. What have I done? Why, how is that quarter so powerful to out to block out the sun? What have I done? I have magnified it. I have brought it closer and closer to my focus. And guys, this is what our culture does is we're a culture of worry. We're a culture of anxiety. We're a culture of fear. You know, even in my lifetime, has anyone else, have you noticed how, how, many, how many more home security um, commercials there are? Is it, is it just me? Like, has anyone noticed that? that and, and people have like cameras like on their front door, on their back door. People have cameras on their car. People have cameras Looking into their living room, I'm like, this is weird. Like, do you? Is it just me? Is, is our culture just growing in fear and worry? I think it is. And anxiety. Why? Because it sells. And I love that Mary says, "My soul magnifies what the Lord." That word magnifies it means to display or to enlarge or to exalt. And so think about this as well. And then I'll move on. I mean, think about a, a magnifying glass or a Like a, um, what's the thing called that scientists use? A microscope, right? Think about this. Um, When you magnify something, have you made that thing any bigger or smaller? No, because that thing is going to be that thing. What have you done? You've made it bigger in what? Your eye. And so that's what it means to magnify God. He's not getting any bigger, guys. He's not getting any smaller, right? What it means to magnify God is to realize, hey, I've got a, my focus is on this quarter, this tiny, this, this tiny problem. And instead, let's put my focus on the Lord, specifically what He has done. Uh, go on to verse 50. She says, His mercy extends to those who... What's that word right there? Fear Him from generation to generation. That word fear, it's kind of a weird word sometimes. It sounds a little strange. Uh, But most of the time in your Bible, especially in the New Testament, when you see the word fear, it means to stand in awe. Or it means to stand in reverence of. Okay? And so, uh, from generation to generation, He has performed mighty deeds with His arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble... And so, let me pause there. I want to. I want to say this. This is a song of worship, right? And when we talk about magnifying the Lord, that's an issue of worship. Okay, um, and you hear worship talked about a lot. Um, you know, we don't. We don't have a worship issue in our culture. You realize that, right? We don't have to teach people how to worship. Sometimes you hear, "Hey, we were made to worship." That's not true. You are made a worshipper, right? That's not something that you do. That's what you are. We all long to worship something bigger and greater than ourselves it's written in our dna and, and i'll say it again we don't have a worship problem we have an object of worship problem right you can watch people worship their job they can worship their family they can worship the dallas cowboys spoiler alert they're not going to win this year i'm sorry this, they're not going all the way can we just stop with this delusional texas like th- like it's just like Guys, just chill out. But I mean it. They, this is no. It's right here. It's it's Mary says it right there. No, but my point is this: we don't have a worship problem. You want to watch people worship? Watch what we do with sports. Like watch what we do with our physical fitness. Watch what we do with how we raise our children. How competitive we are. Watch how we compete with who has the most busy calendar. We don't have a problem with worship. We have an object of worship problem. And, and this is the thing is, man, we long to be in the midst of something bigger than ourselves. Y'all know that, right? Have you ever, or I'll say it this way, why do you, and it, it is fun, why do you go to a Dallas Cowboys football game? Do you, do you go to watch the game? Yeah, you do, but I can watch the game at home. Why, why are you there? What's different? Because you are among, how many does that hold? 90,000? Somewhere around there. Like you're, you're amongst tens of thousands of people and you feel tiny. And there something inside your soul longs for that. To feel small amongst something big. Are you all with me on this? Right? This is why when people want to find themselves, where do they go? They go to the mountains? Or, or they go to the ocean? Or people go to the Grand Canyon? Or they go to the desert. Why are people drawn to these things? Because at that moment you see this thing that is enormous, and you feel what? Tiny, right? And that's what it means to walk in humility. Is here's the reality: is that here's this Lord that's God that's in front of us, and I am a tiny, tiny speck. But He still cares for us, right? You, nobody. nobody stands on the edge of the Grand Canyon and says, man, this thing's amazing, isn't it? And everybody goes, yeah. And then they go, almost as amazing as the gazebo I just built on my backyard. (laughs) I, I built. Have you seen it? Pretty nice. Eight by eight. Treated lumber, right? nobody does that when you are when you have something that's magnified in front of you that it is enormous and like I'm thinking of the mountains I'm thinking of the ocean I'm thinking of the desert that these things by the way would kill you in an instant and not even think twice why are we drawn to those cuz it's in your soul it's in your DNA to be in the presence of something that in a half a second could destroy all of us and it wouldn't even blink doing so. Right? We're drawn to that. And this is why, I mean, again, he says, look, he has filled the hungry with good things. When he talks about being hungry, this this is not like, oh man, I haven't eaten in an hour and a half, like I'm let's go get some chick fil When he talks about the hungry, these are people who cannot feed themselves. These are people who are completely needy. These are people who are completely dependent On the Lord. That's what he says. He says he's filled them with good things. And then look at this. But has sent the rich away. Again, this is why people who constantly try to promote themselves, who are constantly prideful and trying to make themselves bigger in the end, how does it work out? It's fruitless. Do I have to convince you of that? Right? Is that we are designed to stand next to Mount Everest and say, I am trembling in awe at this thing. But so much of our culture is, is we, we get a glimpse of Mount Everest and then we talk about how great we are. How great I am. It's all about me, right? And I love that she says, man, the, He has filled the hungry. He's filled the needy with good things. Man, please, please don't forget, guys. You're needy. We are needy. We are born to need, right? Um, the goal of Christian sanctification is not independent Christians. Please stop saying that. And I get it. I get it. I get it. You know, we're always like, how do you want to raise your kids? I want them to be independent young men and women. I-, I-, I get, I get the sentiment, but I don't want my girls to be independent. I want my girls to grow. And become more and more dependent on the Lord and on the church as life goes on. Right? And so that's what we're called to do. And that's what freedom is, by the way. Freedom, and again, this is countercultural. This is not un American, but I'm just make sure you know freedom is not independence. Please hear me that. Hear me say that. In our culture, we celebrate July 4th, we celebrate our what? Freedom. And then what do we call it? It's also known as independence. Day. And so make sure as a Christian, if you want to, it, like a, a litmus test, am I walking in humility or am I walking in pride? If you're pursuing independence, you're heading down the path of pride. I'll just say it. Or if we're pursuing the path of, Lord, I, I need you. I need others. I am so needy. Lord, help me realize how needy I am. That's the path of humility. And at that point, we're magnifying uh, the Lord. Right. And so a healthy, mature Christian becomes more and more and more dependent on the Lord and on his church and walks in greater uh, humility. And so. um, uh, I think that's all I want to say. Go read Deuteronomy six later. It's, a, it's It points out how when we have everything we want, we lose our need for neediness. Um, but I think I'm out of time. So I'll just end with this question. Man, what do you magnify in your life? What are you magnifying? Mary says, my soul magnifies, glorifies the Lord. Are you, are we, and yes we are, I'll answer for you. Are we putting that quarter in front of our eye to block out the the sun? Like this thing that that is so much tinier than the greatness of God? Or are we pulling it away and say, Lord, my focus is on You. Lord, help me walk in humility. Help me walk in submission. Help me walk in fear and awe and reverence, Lord Jesus. So let me pray for us. Father, thank You for today, and thank You for Your Word, and thank You for the truth that comes from this. And um, thank You that, that Mary was faithful. God, we don't worship Mary. We don't pray to Mary. Um, um, we worship you. We pray to you, but thank you for her example here. Um, and I pray that we would Lord, help us identify what's that like what's that tiny thing that we're magnifying? What's the little thing in our life that we're just so worried, we're so anxious about, when you tell us, like you tell us you're going to take care of everything. That doesn't mean it's easy, but you tell us all your needs will be met. And Father help us to abide in you. Help us to constantly realize we need you every minute, every second. God, we need you. We are dependent. And help us to to strip off the idolatry of independence. And I get it. It's it's cool and it's attractive and and those are the people that we exalt in our culture we exalt the independent self-made man but it's idolatry let's just call it what it is it's just idolatry and lord help us to realize we need one another and we need you and that you work through your church is that there's needs we have that other people in this room can meet and that's your plan and so help us to come together lord help our unbelief jesus we believe but god help our unbelief God, help our unbelief. Um, Help to strengthen our belief. So this is our prayer, Lord. Um, Amen.